0: Today on Backroom Politics, the 10th anniversary of the invasion of Iraq. Has our foreign policy, our military policy, has our nation changed? Also, President uh, President President Clinton, wait a minute, wait a minute, Hillary Clinton and Rob Portman come out in favor of gay marriage. Is this a blow for the GOP? Is Hillary setting herself up for a presidential run? CPAC was in town, and we have props, and... We're also going to talk about the new Pope Francis, all today, and and tell me a story today on Backroom Politics. Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., this is Backroom Politics. With your moderator, Justin Russell. To join the political discussion today, you can call toll free at 877 662 3713. And now, with the roundtable, your moderator, Justin Russell. here in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. That means it's time for the best political roundtable you've never heard of. It's time for Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Uh, as they are every Tuesday, to my left, he is the former eight-term member of Congress representing the Washington 2nd Congressional District, former Vice President of Government Affairs for Burlington Northern Railroad. He is Congressman Al Swift. Hello, Congressman. Hello, Justin. How are you? Today? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. Thank Good. you. Uh, to, his, uh, to his left, uh, which is hard to believe. He is the former floor chief for then Majority Leader, General Lar Ford, former Vice President of Government Affairs for the National Broadcasting Corporation. He is the Honorable Bob Hines. Hi, Bob. Hello, Justin. Glad to be here. And to his left, which is where she should be, <laughs> she is the former House counsel for the Homeland Security Committee in the U.S. House of Representatives, former Obama appointee as general counsel to the Maritime Administration. She is the Honorable uh, Denise Krepp. Denise, how you doing?
1: Hello, Justin. How are you? <laughs> uh,
0: fantastic. Thing. That's a microphone. You might want to lean in, get closer, yeah, talk to yeah, it. All
1: right.
0: And to my 12 o'clock, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce. Uh, he has last served under, last count, four presidents. He is longtime Senate staffer and a very distinguished and charming fellow from the Simpson Center. He is Alan Moore. Hello, Alan.
2: Hello, Justin. I'm feeling very charming today.
0: You are very (laughs) charming. You're always charming. And to my one o'clock, he is the former executive director of the Democratic Party of the Great State of Maryland. He's longtime Washington insider Carl Toobin. Hello, Carl. Hello, Justin. Glad to be here today. Oh, we've got so much to talk about. We're going to start on an international front, and joining us for that conversation, he's the Vice President of China Affairs for the Eurasia Center. He is Dr. Ralph Winnie. Hello, Dr. Ralph.
3: Hi, Justin. Glad to be with everyone Oh,
0: fantastic to have you. Hey, uh, so much to get to, but we're going to start off today talking about a kind of infamous anniversary that's being celebrated today. It was 10 years ago this date that President Bush announced that he was fronting the invasion of Iraq to find Saddam Hussein and to try and take the war on terror into Iraq. Uh, We have now at last count lost uh, just shy of 4,500 service members in this fight. Uh, The last tabulation was almost $4 trillion spent on the war in Iraq, and it begs a lot of questions. You know, on, this infamous, on this infamous anniversary, Congressman, I'm going to start with you. Ten years ago, uh, you, had, you were just a few years out of Congress. Uh, did it surprise you that we took the war to Iraq to find Saddam Hussein in a second front on the war on Syria?
4: What surprised me was that <clears throat> Bush, one, made the right decision. Uh, when he, You're talking
0: about George Horbert Walker Bush, the 41st when, president. When, we, when, when he
4: finished his work in Kuwait, he uh, was a Kuwait? Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. <clears throat> to keep uh, Iraq from coming down and messing around in their business. Uh, he was urged to move on to Baghdad, and he did not do it. And it was the right decision, just like Harry Truman's not going into China and so forth and so on. It was sharply criticized. And uh, it, But it, he didn't do it. Some years later, his son comes along and does it. Well, there's the difference between the father and the son.
0: You know, Bob Hines, when originally President Bush and his then-Secretary of State, uh, former uh, uh, Joint Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Colin Powell, when he was in the U.N., he presented a very viable case or justification for the invasion of Iraq. Hindsight being what it is, was it a mistake or was it the right move?
5: Well, I don't think that uh, it's easy today, uh, and it's still fresh enough in so many in so many people's minds. It's easy to say it was it was wrong or it was right. I still it, I think it's going to be a while before we can. Be sure about it, but it certainly does not look. If you look at it today, with Iraq is uh, is uh, having internal disputes, which uh, so many Muslim countries are having. The Shiites are running the government, uh, the Sunnis are being, uh, you know, jerked around. From their standpoint, it's a problem internally that is uh, that is not going to go away. These kinds of problems in Muslim companies, countries seem to be, you know, perennial and forever. And I, it's it's good to say in one sense, uh, you know we have we have uh, they're not they're not fighting beyond their beyond their own uh, boundaries at this point with anybody. But the country is not uh, is not what we would hope it would have been when we went in there, and what we hoped to get out of it when we were when we got out, we didn't get very much for what we
0: did. Congressman Al
4: but it seemed to me that an eight-year-old child could have, said, could have told you that we weren't going to get what we thought. I mean, you had people over in the White House that were talking about being welcomed in the streets with the bells on and songs and, and what have you, and that was never going to be the case. Secondly, um, he was no threat to us, no immediate threat to us whatsoever, and so to spend that amount of lives, that amount of blood and that amount of cash on a war that didn't need to happen, uh, I think is, is is going to be remembered and i don't think it's too soon to make Carl
6: toobin you know there were uh, there were several things um, first of all, there were about five individuals uh, <clears throat> in the Department of Defense and the vice president's office who decided that this was going to be the same. One of the theories was that um, <clears throat> george bush i think they, they someone tried to to uh, do harm to his father at one point, and and he they, he he felt that he ought to do this for his father. That was one theory. Another theory was that his uh, father wouldn't do it. Right, right. But, but what, and another theory was that he thought that getting rid of Saddam Hussein would be good for the Middle East and all its neighbors, which happened because of the Arab Spring has not been. Well, I'm going to go back to that for a second, but Alan Moore, you've got a comment. Well, it's
2: interesting, ten years later, to, uh,
1: to try to back. put a
2: cast on things, talk about one theory or another theory or one George Bush versus another George Bush. Let's remember what was going on at the time, and I've got a couple of quotes, just happen to have them, from a few people back in the time, Okay. So first quote, and we can guess who this might be, all right? This was right at, this was in 1998, right after the inspectors were kicked out by Saddam Hussein. That was the last time we had any inspectors. Inspectors
0: under Hans Blix.
2: Correct. Here's the quote. Saddam Hussein has been engaged in the development of weapons of mass destruction technology, which is a threat to countries in the region, and he has made a mockery of the weapons inspection process.
1: Nancy
2: Nancy Pelosi. Amazing. So then we jump ahead into 2003 in the post-9-11 environment when it looks like uh, most of the intelligence agencies of the world agree that there are weapons of mass destruction. And here's another quote. Without question, we need to disarm Saddam Hussein. He's a brutal, murderous dictator, leading an oppressive regime. He presents a particularly <laughs> grievous threat because he is so consistently prone to miscalculation. And now he's miscalculating America's response to his continued deceit and his consistent grasp for weapons of mass destruction. Who was that be? Who said that? John, John Kerry Henry. said that. And we <laughs> could go on. I got Al Gore quotes. I got Ted Kennedy or quotes. The on. fact of the matter is, Back then, 72% of the people of America said, let's go in. Uh, An overwhelming majority of members of the House and Senate said, let's go in, including members of the intelligence committees who had all the information available. But I
0: want to to touch on that real quick. At at that time, the one word I have not heard in this whole discussion, not here, but also in the larger media markets, is we have not heard the term actionable intelligence. The reality is that at that time, both Democrats and Republicans were unanimous in the understanding that the actionable intelligence that we had gotten, not just from Langley and the CIA, not just from the folks at DIA, but from our allied intelligence sources, from Musan to MI5 to all of the other intelligence agencies, Germany, France, they all agreed that he was actively looking at not just a chemical weapons stockpile, but nuclear weapons. Why does that fact fall to the cracks when the argument comes up?
2: Because it was wrong. <laughs> it was wrong information, and we focus on what we know now, both in, act, in acting on bad information, one, and two, having a much longer, more difficult, more expensive <laughs> in times of... of of life and treasure than we ever imagined. As Al said, we we thought that this was going to be short and quick. Well, phase one was short and quick. It was phase two that's still not over, right? And was far, far, far more difficult than we ever imagined. And we should have known more about that than we did. Denise, cracked.
1: Justin, I, I'm not going to relitigate what happened, who knew, when they knew, what they knew. What what I am going to say first is. Thank you to the 82nd Airborne. Um, for those of you who don't know, I, uh, I spent a lot of time in Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is the proud home of the 82nd Airborne. So thank you to all those men and women who have served and who did serve. And the reason I'm saying did serve and have served is because more than one of them did one tour. More than one of them has done two tours, three tours, third, three tours, four tours, five tours. And that takes a significant toll on an individual to go back and forth between a war zone and a civilian uh, environment. Uh, And that is going to live with them, not only live with them, but live with their families for 10, 20 years. So instead of relitigating, what did we know, whether it was actual, my goal would be for all of us to be talking about how do we integrate these men and women back into society and integrate it in such a way that they can be successful, not only can they be successful, but as a daughter of two former army officers, I fully understand what happens when your parents are both deployed. So how do we make sure that their kids are successful as And, well? and
0: I, I think we would all agree with that, and I think that there's also a whole other discussion that we'll have on another show regarding that. But the reality is, is that there has to be lessons learned from the invasion in Iraq. It, it's an opportunity that we have to say, you know, Did the intelligence system fail? Did we not do full due diligence on this? Ralph, and I think if
3: you talk with people in the international community, they initially had wanted the weapons inspectors to be able to have sufficient time to determine whether or not Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. And they were very upset with the Bush administration for really pushing um, countries to come on board with an actual invasion when if they had allowed the weapons inspectors to stay in and do their job, they would have found that there were no
6: weapons. Bob,
5: Bob lines. You know, the thing that has always struck me uh, about, about us when we're trying to, uh, when well, we've been active in, the Middle, in almost any place in the Middle East, I don't think that our uh, intelligence has ever been good enough. Now, if, if the... The, the the muslim the Muslim world is a very diverse world uh, there are sev- there are a number of different uh, branches of of Islam and they look at things differently uh, they struggle among themselves for power and authority uh, and it's awfully difficult for us to be able to understand you know, how we can Do make anything happen when there's always diverse groups that we're trying to deal with. And if one of them is happy, the other one isn't. And it seems to me that that's something we have never learned very easily. And I think think it's a question of, I think our foreign policy people don't know enough about uh, the Middle East, at least they didn't 10 years ago. Maybe they're better today, but it certainly seems to me that our biggest problem has always been that we, we are too eager to find the solution is military. Do we know enough about the problems that we're going to have to face once the fighting stops? Congressman
4: Al. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with what Bob just said, but we, we've said two different things here in the course of our conversation, <clears throat> and I don't know which is correct. Somebody said that Saddam was saying, true blicks out. And it was my understanding, in my very poor memory, that essentially George Bush just decided to move in yeah. whether Blix was done. Which is correct or not?
3: Well, well, there were there were weapons inspectors that were allowed back into Iraq, <laughs> but um, the, what was happening was they were being blocked from, from being able to go and view these potential sites. And the administration used that as a little little bit of both. Right.
4: But it it seemed to me that that the whole issue of whether or not there were weapons of mass destruction might well have been settled more peacefully if we just waited. Right. and given Hans Flix a chance to make a judgment what? and tell the world about it. Alan Moore, go ahead. Well, how long do you wait? They were kicked out in 1998. You wait until Hans Flix says, I can't do anymore. Well,
2: well you
0: know, Hans Flix eventually did. It was
2: five years, and all of the voices and, and, and events in the world had changed significantly. And 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 Saddam made a fundamental misjudgment when he allowed us to believe that he was pursuing things that he wasn't pursuing. That doesn't that doesn't excuse the bad intelligence, but but it wasn't as though one guy just simply said we're not going to do we're 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 not going to wait any longer. It was there there was a large collective sense including many many democratic voices uh as I mentioned. We we also need to remember that you know there's that it was a flawed basis for going in it was also a flawed strategy on the ground once we were in there and most of the experts who've written about it have have really been very very critical of early decisions made that almost certainly affected the ultimate outcome in very significant ways they, they tossed out the, uh, the, the Sunni military and the Sunni leadership and they were the they were the smartest most experienced people Um, even though they were from the smaller ethnic group in Saddam Hussein. As a result, you ended up with an extra level of chaos and opportunity for civil strife, and it did follow. Congressman Al.
6: Well,
4: to to, to be perfectly honest with you all about me, uh, I not only called this one, I think, right, ahead of time, saying don't do it. But I also said that about the first one with with, uh, with President Bush going into Kuwait. So all that proves is you can be right 50% of the time. <laughs> right.
3: Ralph right. Winning. And unfortunately, with the destabilization of Iraq, what it's done is it's emboldened Iran to potentially make Iraq a, a client state, leading to uh, further um, instability in the region. So that's something the U.S. is going to have to really watch out now that we're out of Iraq will uh, Iran and its allies be able to move in and take control of the government? But
0: there's, you know, I mean, we could armchair quarterback this uh, for days, but the reality still dictates is, and and Bob Hines, I'll I'll start with you, what did we learn from going into Iraq, if anything?
5: Well, we shouldn't. We we shouldn't think that we know as, as much as we think we know. I think we make fundamental mistakes. I think our Foreign Service people do a good job, but they don't know as much as they think they know, probably. Is it a
0: flaw in our intelligence system? Sure it is. Absolutely. I
5: mean, we don't have, I, I don't know how many people we, we have in our senior levels of the Foreign Service who are experts in the Middle East and have spent, let's say, a decade in there. I'll make you bet we don't have nearly enough. I mean, it seems to me we've made an awful lot of mistakes and misunderstood an awful lot of different leadership or have believed people who were lying to our face and we should have known better because we know more about them. And I, I think that's true uh, throughout the Middle East. And I think it's not necessarily just our fault, the fact we aren't that smart. When you have a, when you have a, a number of countries that are so divided internally over religious and political activities in different tribes, it's awfully hard to decide who's going to be in charge and how it's going to work out. Denise crap.
1: I'd say what we learned was we needed to go back and reread history. I mean, the British were in the area, the Russians were in the area. There were a lot of folks that have tried to take over this area in the past, and they didn't succeed. So why didn't we crack open a history book and say, hmm, let's think about this. Why didn't they succeed, and why did we think we were going to succeed when they didn't?
6: Go to it.
1: One of the things we learned is that you can't
6: fight a war on a credit card and add to the national debt. And that's exactly what George Bush did.
3: Ralph Winning. I was going to say, in effect, going in in effect unilaterally uh, does not um, help us develop credibility and respect among our international partners. Well,
0: but it wasn't unilateral. We, well, we had the effect, support of many of our allies. We had support of countries in the region, i.e. Jordan, i.e. Turkey. Uh, we had their full support in all well, that. militarily,
3: it was U.S. and, and maybe a, yeah. a few other countries. It was not
2: the international community
3: like it was under uh, George Bush's father in 91, where you had a broad coalition of countries that went in and uh, were going to pre- prevent... Uh, exactly, Congress for now.
4: Well, just exactly that. Yeah. George Bush, the first... Had a lot of experience in foreign policy, and uh, he, he knew what he was doing. And he put together a rock-solid coalition. Uh, his his son put together something that uh, could be he called the coalition. I think it was less than that. But,
0: but Denise when when we look at the House vote, for example, where we have the support of people like key Democrats, like. And Nancy Pelosi, when we look back at that, I mean, we had full congressional support for the most part of going in based on the intelligence that we had. This is the same Congress, however, that literally cut intelligence spending at a time where we theoretically really needed it, i.e. September 11th, i.e. the invasion of Iraq. Does the House look at that and go, well, maybe we should have re-examined that? And has that helped the intelligence community?
1: I I think one of my favorite intelligence phrases is Operation Barn Door Closing, Um, or maybe Barn Door Opening, depending on how you want to think about it. I mean, we're always going to learn from our intelligence failures. The question is going to be, how do we learn and succeed in the future? Uh, I, I think more money helps. I think more focus on intelligence helps. But I also think that we have to focus on areas that we've never looked at before and, and I think um, you know, the issue's already been brought up of are there enough analysts? There weren't enough analysts. Do I think enough people had studied this area before? Absolutely not. I mean, we were ten years after the Cold War when the majority of folks are still getting their doctors on sovietology. So with you know, time comes Understanding with understanding comes the realization that this is a very complicated part of the world that so we are not going to dominate until we fully understand it, Congressman. Al.
4: we also had, in addition to whatever flaws there were at lower levels among intelligence, we had guys like Wolfowitz, uh, the guy that was in charge of planning. I was I talked with a military guy that worked in his office. He said he said the man was absolutely brilliant, but he couldn't plan lunch. Uh, and he was planning the, the, the future so that there were some people at the top, including the vice president of the United States, who wanted to go in there so badly they could taste it. And uh, so let's not blame this all on the intelligence. Alan,
2: Alan Moore. Well, I, think, I, hope, I hope we can remember what was going on in the world at the time. We were in the aftermath of 9-11, which was just a stunning, fearful, game-changing set of events uh, on this country. And we were bound and determined to to seek out and find other enemies who posed risks, who supported terrorism, um, and show other countries, particularly in that region, that we are serious, we're not messing around. There obviously were some... Old, Some some lingering animosities with Saddam who knows how much they colored events but the fact of the matter was we had bad information on what Saddam was up to and bad information on what the response would be if we went in there and we have been suffering and paying an enormous cost uh, uh, ever since Uh, I'm not sure that That there's any single one lesson here other than perhaps to show a little more humility in our ability to pull things off, to know things. It doesn't mean that we have to be frozen forevermore, but uh, uh, we do need to acknowledge our weaknesses and 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 be. More sure than clearly we were that time in what we were getting into and why, Congressman
0: Al. Here's
4: an interesting question: What would the,
0: the president be like
4: had we not gone in to Iraq? What do you mean? Well, what what would the Middle East be like? What would what would the Iraq be like today? I I think Saddam would still be there, still being the evil man that he was. Uh, but would we have spent as much money? Would we have spent as many lives, um, and would we have lost some great uh, initiative if we had just left it alone with Hans Blake's Well, we but then, going,
0: back, uh, going back to, I mean, you know, that leads into another question of, was there any good that came out of the invasion in Iraq? Uh, many, many folks are familiar with the region, say that Iraq, although it's had time to rebuild still has a lot of rebuilding to do, but the quality of life for many of the people that don't have to live in fear is better. Uh, The fact that uh, Saddam Hussein, who, remember, this is a man who used chemical weapons on his own people at one time. The fact that he is out of the world seems a good thing. Bob, is there any good that came out of the invasion of Iraq? Well, of course
5: there is. I mean, obviously... uh, uh, you don 't have Saddam Hussein you know gassing his own people, but the fact of the matter is the the Sudis are uh, uh, are feeling of an awful lot of pressure from the Shiite government uh, and look at other parts of the middle east and you you wonder you know you can say well uh, certainly you step back and you know, uh, you don 't know how much the the fighting in Iraq had an impact on the Arab Spring and how much how much of the Arab Spring rose up from the standpoint of you know it is possible to get rid of bad guys and Saddam is gone and maybe we can get rid of our bad guy uh, that kind of that kind of thing it's hard to I mean that discussion will probably have to come at a future time when people know more about it but it seems to me the Middle East overall. Is probably um, maybe just a little bit potentially better off than it was before. Now you, you know a lot of money was spent, and it's a terrible and a terrible losses of life, uh, and it's pretty hard to say that. The, the system today looks so much more wonderful because we, we lost all that
6: humanity
5: and and those, and those put ourselves in such a deficit situation. It's awfully hard to say it's a good deal.
3: Ralph Winning. you were able to work with the younger generation coming up in Iraq to promote democracy and, and, uh, and human rights. That's a good thing. But at this point, there's still so much graft, instability, and, and corruption in the country. And it, Al's point, what would happen if we'd never gone into Iraq? Would Iran have been the major threat that it is now, or would they have felt contained by the presence of Saddam Hussein?
6: Alan
0: Moore. The, the, the
2: bottom line is, yes, there were, there were a, a number of good things that came out of this, and we've mentioned a few of them. Were they worth it? No, not not even close.
0: Well, going back, Denise scrap going back to that time, would you have advised your members to move forward on voting for the invasion of Iraq?
1: I'm split on that decision. Um, I was an active duty officer in 9-11. My husband was an active duty officer in 9-11. And um, he lost uh, friends of his in Iraq. I lost a classmate at the the Naval War College uh, who died at the Pentagon. I would probably say that um, I would have advised my member to support the war, but that being said, in addition to losing uh, friends, I can still remember being home in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and seeing a lot of women crying. Right. And they cried because they knew their husbands were going to war.
0: Right. Congressman Al, would you have voted for the invasion of Iraq back then?
4: It's easy to say when you don't have to prove it, but, but I think I would have voted against it. You would have voted against I, it. I voted against the first one, <clears throat> and, and honest to God, I remember believing that there, there is absolutely no reason to do it at this time. I hadn't had an at this time. Let, let's finish his work before we do something like this. So I think I would have voted against it. All
0: right, well, we're coming up on the break right now. Uh, when we come back, We're going to be talking a little bit of national politics here. We're going to be talking about how Senator Rob Portman and Senator, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, are for gay marriage. Uh, Is this a sign of things to come? This is Backroom Politics, live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We will be back in two minutes. Stay with us. (laughs) Wow, a little bit of fat swallow, Lulu back in town, and I, I tell you, when I am back in town, or when any of my friends are back in town, or, heck, when we're living here in town, we usually find ourselves down at Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., right across from the National Press Club. Why do we come here? Well, they've got the city's best cigar menu, the most diversified, with some of the best-known brands, and some that you might even know, but... Might want to give it a try. Everything from Arturo Fuentes down to Zeno. You can go all the way from your $9 little petite girly flavored cigars all the way up to. Opus X Lost City They have a cigar for everybody Mild, medium, strong, heavy However you want to smoke it It's available here at Shelly's Back Room
6: Come in, have Bob,
0: Nah, or any one of the girls Show you what the right cigar might be For your taste that evening Again, Shelly's Back Room 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital Washington, D.C. As Bob likes to put it It is definitely the place to be you can tell the mailman not to call. I ain't coming home until the fall. And again, I might not get back home at all. Lula's back in town. Yeah. <laughs> Tell the mailman not to call, he's coming home until the fall, and then again I might
6: not get home at all, soon back in town. Oh, that woman's
0: back in town, oh my, 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 my. A little bit of flat swaller always makes Tuesday better. Hey, this is Backroom Politics Live from Shelly's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., live on Blog Talk Radio. Hey, we're going to talk a little bit of politics right now regarding uh gay marriage, some Actually, two very surprising, uh, whether you want to call them policy statements, whether you want to call them admissions, uh, I've even heard some of the gay community say they're coming out. Uh, the first one, and notably, being Senator Rob Portman, Repu- former Republican candidate for the presidential nomination in 2012, uh, the good senator. Vice,
6: President. vice
0: I'm sorry? Vice presidential nominee. Vi- vice presidential nominee. Vice President Salomni, apologize for that. Senator candidate. Rob candidate, candidate, you candidate. There, yeah. good Lord. i will get it. I'll get it. Facts, 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 whatever. Hey, the reality is uh, Senator, Senator Rob Portman came out uh, and a noted leader uh, in the GOP saying he was for gay marriage, which is a stark turn of events for a leading Republican to come out and say that. Bob Hines, you are familiar with good Senator Rob Portman, a uh, big fan of his. Did that surprise you that he came out so staunchly in favor of gay marriage? Well, the answer to that is twofold. Yes, I was very
5: surprised that he came out uh, just, you know, in, in, the, in the fact. But when you listen to what he had to say, i.e., my, my eldest son is is gay, and uh, I have been thinking about this a good bit we've been talking about it for some time and I've changed my I've changed my mind I you know if I I love my son and that's I mean that's that's a parent that's a parent's statement I mean I don't think he didn't come out and say this is a good political idea I'm going to do this he was talking very very humanly and very personally about a family situation which had made him
0: review the thought, because there's other families who are in the same situation, I guess. But, but I, I guess the question is, uh, Bob Hines will stay with you on this, is why now come out uh, in support of gay marriage, particularly at a time where there is a lot of division in the GOP? Well, think about it. If
5: He didn't, he may have just come out, he came out just the last week in public, but last summer. When he was a, a very high on the list of vice presidential potential nominees, uh, he he was already having conversations with his son, and I'm sure they had started sometime before that. And he made up a, he made his decision. Uh, he may not have spoken it until last week, but he made his decision some time ago, based upon I'm sure knowing knowing the senator of uh, you know serious conversations among the family. It's a very close knit family. Uh there are several boys. I, I have I have I do not know the, 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 the wife, the mother very well, but she's an amazing lady from what little I do know of her. And Portman is a very, very serious and substantive person, all of which means that he had he did a lot of hard thinking about this and there was a lot of hard thinking about it, and there was a lot of love and decision making. Thought, so what's the best thing for my son, and my family? And uh, yeah. it's uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a quick decision, clearly, because he was he was thinking
0: about it months before he ever said it publicly. Carl Tubman, did it surprise you as a Democrat that a notable Republican such as Rob Portman would come out in such a public fashion in support of gay
6: marriage? No, because I think this you know this is a it's, this really isn't a political matter. It's a, it's a very personal matter, and you know, someone as Portman who said, "I love my son," and and you know, and and you know, I, and I accept it. And I think that's that's what made the change. Um, it's it, you know, it's, it's got to be a gut wrenching decision for some people, but you know, he he. They, discussed it, they talked about it. I'm sure he talked about it with his whole family, and they did it. My, my only question is, uh, um, was was this uh, known to the people who were vetting people for the vice presidency, and could this have been a reason why he wasn't? Well, we, we,
0: we may never know that, but know. Alan, Alan Moore, when, when <laughs> we look at this, and we look at the, at the politically, publicly way that Rob Portman does this, Is this a sign from Rob Portman to the party saying, look, we've got to get our act together, we've got to come into the 21st century?
2: I don't think he's necessary. I don't think his primary purpose is to speak to the party, although the party pays attention. Um, I think this is a very personal decision. I don't think he made the decision just because his son happened to be gay. There are plenty of Republicans and Democrats who have a, uh, a a gay or lesbian child... Newt
0: Gingrich has a, has a gay sister.
2: ...who may or may not support gay marriage. Um, but in his case, he reflected on everything. They did it as a family. The culture is changing. Public point of view is changing. And so is his point of view. Now, he's got that special window into personal experience in his own household. It didn't mean he had to, to go... Uh, all the way to gay marriage, but he, he's the kind of guy who's going to reflect on it. He's going to say, this, this will hurt me politically on the one hand. On the other hand, it will make me whole as a human being, and I'm going to do that, because I believe it now. I didn't believe it before. I believe it now. I'm going
4: to say it and let the chips fall where they may.
0: Congressman Al. I think the whole
4: country is rethinking this and moving slowly toward acceptance. I know my initial position was uh, was uh, to to have uh, what do they call it civil unions, civil unions, and it took me a while to get off that and into support of gay marriage. So that if you look at the polls, the whole the whole issue is moving towards support of gay marriage, and I think one of the things, and I doubt seriously if Portman had this in mind, but. Some people in the Republican Party need to decide which side of history going, they want to be on, because it sure looks like they're going to end up, if they don't change, on the wrong side of
0: history. Did on the opposite side of that, yep, just yesterday, Hillary Clinton came out in a very public uh, human rights campaign YouTube video, pretty much laying out her, some call it, platform for gay marriage, uh, whereas Rob Portman was very personal Hers seemed very political. Is this a sign of things to come? Is this her possibly testing the waters for a 2016 campaign run? No. Why? I
1: I, I don't think so. I I think this this plays into the uh, people are changing. The perception about um, having gay children is changing. The perception of what your relationship is with those that uh, may be gay or lesbian, that's all changing. And I think it's a really political maneuver on her Hard to come out in support of this. I, I, I mean, I, I'm going to go back to the Portman issue, because Portman did something incredible. Um, and, and as a parent, I have a lot of respect for him, because he chose his son over his political career. And when you have... But is it necessarily a bad political move for him? You know what? I don't care if it's a political move or not. The fact that you chose your son over anything else, to me, says kudos to you you're a good parent and that quite frankly is what you're going to be remembered for more than anything else is whether or not you're a good parent
6: interesting you know, it, it's very do in Hillary's situation I don't think it's for for uh, 2016 but I think there there might have been a, a thought on, on their mind that the uh, uh, Supreme Court is debating all this right now and therefore I'm going to put this in the uh, uh, public domain so that it, the Supreme Court hears about it. Portman, to a lesser extent, I don't know if Portman was doing that for the same reason, but could have been, because the Supreme Court has to hear some of this in order to, to, to see all the different views.
2: Alan Moore. It seems to me that Hillary, first of all, when Hillary Clinton announced yesterday, a lot of people around the country were saying, is that new? Um so there was a little bit of a lack. With Portman, believe me, everybody knew this was something new and different. With, with Hillary, Clinton, Hillary Clinton, people thought, wait, what was she before? In 2008, she and Obama were both for, pro-civil union. They both opposed gay marriage. In 2011, when there was a, a referendum in the state of New York, she, allowing gay marriage, she embraced it. Now, this was still the, the, the Federalist view. Let's decide. I'm a resident of... New York, I support it. It's a good idea. So it was not a huge step. Just last week, her husband, um, Bill Clinton, wrote an, a big op-ed where he said DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, also before the Supreme Court now, was made sense at the time and no longer makes sense. Toss it out. So I think that, that all it tells us about Hillary is that she picked now because she needed to be away from the State Department And she's checking a box. Does it mean she'll run? No. Maybe she will. Maybe she won't. But there will be no Democrat candidate for president who does not embrace gay marriage. She might as well check that box now. And I don't say that cynically. I think she probably has believed this for some time and thought, fine, let's just get it out there get it done.
0: But, Congressman Al, you know, we're talking about Hillary Clinton here, her husband, the architect of DOMA uh and a large supporter he swore to defend the defense of marriage act uh she was there she had the president's Is is this a matter of we've grown up as a nation or is it just a matter of it's the political right thing to do i think it's a matter
4: of the, the issue is moving and i think a lot of people like myself have have actually made a conscious and sincere change of mind in the direction of supportive of gay marriage and that she's one of possibly millions doing the same thing. Denise crap.
1: I think you've got to look at what was going on when DOMA came about. I mean DOMA came after the don't ask don't tell policy that Clinton got himself in trouble for. I mean that was the first thing he did when he came into office. So, I mean, you had a huge revolution that he was starting, and then you got a backlash. And I think DOMA came as part of that backlash. Now you're allowed to have gays and lesbians openly participate and be active-duty military officers. So you're seeing the switch from what was happening in the early 90s to what's happening today.
2: Alan Moore? I was going to agree with Alan that that everything is changing. I disagree with Alan that everything is changing slowly. Everything is changing really fast for American politics. Today... 58% of the American public favors gay marriage. 81% of the American public under 30 supports gay marriage, which means literally opposition to gay marriage is dying off. Old people are still fighting it. Young people have embraced it. And the demographic is fascinating because... The younger you are, the more you're supportive. The older you are. Some of us older ones have come around in, in, yeah. in recent years.
4: Bob Hines,
0: that, or I, uh, I, Congressman I, Al, I,
4: go ahead. I agree with Al that, that this is moving fast. I misspoke. All
5: right, Bob Hines. It's moving really fast, I mean, truly fast. It's, 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 and I suspect that literally within the next, the next presidential election, I would, I would be, be willing to say right now that the Republican nominee, whoever it will be, will be reasonably supportive of it. Yeah, but we're talking about no a
0: reason. party, though. But, Bob, we're talking about a party in the, just in this last platform, in the last Republican National Convention, where it was in the platform as a policy statement, marriages between one, one man, one woman, never shall the two cease to exist. At what point, or what is it going to take for the GOP to come off that, to want to win? Is it a matter of it's political, not... Well, there's nothing wrong with making a political decision, and it's a
5: correct political decision. I think right now, the I think that we have had in the last few weeks with the, Mr. Portman and, and, and Mrs. Clinton, uh, you know, just a watershed event. And I think it's... the. Both people were, are very well known and highly regarded, and they both made a decision to come forward at this time. The fact of the matter is, people are going to, that are still on the fence or against it, are going to be realize that even as they talk among their friends, they're finding that there are fewer and fewer people who are taking the same position that they had traditionally taken. Carl Tuvitt. The
6: Republican Party is going to have to change an awful lot before that happens. I mean, just recently... Uh, You know, CPAC shunned the alarm. Well, we're going to talk. We're going to
0: talk about that here in a second. Okay. But all
6: right. uh, You know, these crap.
0: You know, we talk about the Defense of Marriage Act. We still have not seen uh, any members of Congress successfully try and repeal the Defense of Marriage Act. It's still on the books. It's going before the Supreme Court. Why have we not seen on either party somebody stand up in the well saying this is stupid? Americans are largely going to be in favor of it. Let's just make it happen.
1: I can't answer the question. I, I think you have c- competing priorities right now that you have an administration and, and others that want to focus on immigration, that you want to focus on the budget. But do I think given enough time? Yes. But we all have to realize we're sitting here. We're not up on the hill. And to do this takes a lot of courage. And kudos to the person who does it. Congressman out. And, and I think that
4: the speed with which this is moving would suggest that when Congress had a chance to do that, they were back where public opinion and everything was very, very different, and they haven't had a chance to approach this since the change has taken place.
2: And there's a there's a, major, there's a major development going on right now, which is this issue is before the Supreme Court. These arguments are going to be held. The court will make a judgment. And then if the Congress feels a need to respond, or a movement inside Congress says, we disagree with the court, we'll change the law, then they'll do that. But it's one of these things that when you've got so many issues on the table, not least of all, all of the economic and spending issues, which dominate time attention right now, it's there's not room for these other issues. But Once the court speaks, depending on how that how that it speaks, that'll be big news either way. And then we'll either see action. Well, we may see action regardless. But I'm guessing that if the court says that is unconstitutional, which the Justice Department and this president have said regarding the Defense of Marriage Act, uh, I think that'll settle it. Uh,
0: Bob Hines, when, when we when we look at. Part of the issues, and we'll talk about this probably more in the next segment, but when we look at the platform of Republicans, you're talking about a staunch, vocal, religious right faction inside the party that drives that platform. Is that something that the GOP possibly can overcome and come into the next century and let them be supportive? I mean, we've got a very strong, active law cabinet Republican sector uh, nationwide, They support gay marriage. Is this going to maybe quash the voice of the religious right? It will not quash the voice of the
5: religious right. The religious right will continue. I think that, but I think there is a growing avalanche of public opinion moving in the other direction. Now, how soon that will happen, you know, I'm not sure.
0: But who will have a stronger voice in that argument? Well, I would say.
5: I would say those who want to win the election rather than be pure, you know, in their point of view. I you know, I'm I, I have these wonder you know, I I think the, the Tea Party people are gonna have a real interesting debate here among themselves. And well, lit- well, Congressman Al, Al. and I, I suspect it may mean that the Republicans in, in two thousand and sixteen may nominate a no nobody because they can't figure out what they're gonna do. Congressman Al first. I I I find it
4: The Republicans will face this. If they insist on opposing gay marriage, that will be one of the key issues that that they will have to fight during the whole campaign. And they would be very smart, and they are smart, to get rid of that issue so they can talk about things they're more interested in. Alan Moore. I'm very glad
2: that that
4: we're three and a half years out, because I think
2: that this is changing so fast. That that barring something we can 't figure that this will be largely settled about two years from now, and it won 't be the major fight that divides <laughs> there will still be though a, a, a solid group of people in America who oppose gay marriage and they, they, they may be they, they, they aren 't necessarily anti gay they may be supportive of civil unions believe that marriage is is, 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 is a unique uh, uh status for for a man and a woman, but it's it's going to be greatly diminished in size, and let us only hope that it's not the issue that divides Republicans. There are plenty of others that will be there to do that carl
6: toobin but if if in fact the Republicans don't change, it will be a major issue, as al said i mean it can't help but be a major issue
4: i can't and, believe that the Republicans would let that happen
6: Well, there's enough Tea Party folks around and others that, that Rand Paul and a lot of people, a lot of people who who would do this. Bob Hines,
5: you know, I I certainly hope that the matter is, as Alan says, I'm glad it's three years plus out, uh, or at least maybe, let's say two two years plus out uh, before the campaign starts. But <laughs> we really don't need to have this kind of a a debate going on when there is a primary. And people are up having a debate, and we have a fight over this. Cindy's correct. But
1: I think, to what Ellen said, demographics. If the demographics show that if the demographics are showing that the majority of folks under the age of 30 support, you know, gay and lesbian issues, then they're only going to get older, and the folks behind them aren't exactly going to become more conservative. Yeah. So the older they get. The more this issue is going to be steamrolling on and on. Alan Moore,
2: I just wanted to observe that around this table, that we love to, there's some of us who love to demonize the Tea Party. This is not the Tea Party's issue. No, the Tea Party worries about fiscal issues. This is a conservative, uh, a religious right and, and religious right uh, issue, and, and and it's, but it's even more complicated than that because it's an old versus young issue. There there are a lot of older Democrats who still haven't come around, as well as older Republicans, because they can't get their hands around this whole notion that has always been so foreign to them in the way they think about life and relationships. It's just changing very, very fast, and those old folks, as I said before, are dying off.
0: Interesting point. Uh, Congressman Al, the religious right has been just steadfast and holding firm, and they brought along with them a lot of the hyper-conservative uh, members of Congress and members of the party. Is Are we going to see a dynamic change in this as a result of, or could this be the sign that the Christian coalitions might be losing some of their power?
4: Well, the Christian coalition has, over the last few months, if not the last couple of years, uh, been changing from uh, from what it used to be with uh, that crazy guy down in North Carolina and who uh, was who was the who was the New
0: Falwell? <laughs> wait, 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 wait 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 wait. Are you talking about Jim Demint? No no I was not. Who are you talking about? The great the minister
4: who? Are you talking about
0: Jerry about Falwell? I, I,
4: I I'm talking about him too, but i no I'm talking about the guy that's got the the broadcast. Uh, oh oh
0: yeah. Jim Baker. No, good no, all right, everybody stop. Anyway, continue no, no, no,
4: with your no, thought. No, no, no. There's <laughs> a bunch of them. I, I I think I think if if he were listening he would be absolutely <laughs> humiliated by the fact we can't remember his name. <laughs> maybe, he, maybe maybe that's a sign. Yeah.
6: Maybe that <laughs> he you're thinking
4: of his death. But, but they were all on the moral issues and and the uh, a lot of the religious right is now looking at more uh, uh, social issues in the sense of, of, of the poor and, and, and so forth, they're moving in a more positive kind of direction so I'm not sure that uh, that, uh, that they're going to be speaking enough with one voice to have, uh, have an overriding impact on it.
0: Well, I'm going to let that be the last word because this is going to carry into our next segment where we come back. Pat
4: Robertson, out. that's the name. Pat right, Robertson.
0: Seriously, you couldn't think of Pat Robertson? You couldn't.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was
0: (laughs) suggested. Anyway, when we come back after the top of the hour, we're going to talk a little bit, uh, continuing with the changing face of the Republican Party. We're going to talk a little CPAC and a little GOP pathway forward. How are they going to be able to change their brand to be all inclusive? Can they do it? Uh, We'll talk about that when we come back. Oh, by the way, it's happy hour. We're going to order our drinks, cut our cigars. And we're going to get into the second hour of Backroom Politics. Stay with us. We'll be back in four minutes. You know, here on Backroom Politics, you hear us order drinks uh, during happy hour, the second hour of Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. But what you don't understand is the quality of the drink that we're getting here at Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Backroom Politics, premier sponsor, hey, you got Dave Hammerly and the bar crew there at Shelly's back room that really know how to pour a drink. Whether it's something simple like my on-air, Jack Daniels on the rocks with a splash of water, or whether it's something elaborate like what has to be the best martini in the District of Columbia for Congressman Al Swift. Wine selection, scotch selection that will blow your mind, They've got Highland Scotches, they've got Isla Sky Scotches, blended single malt, anything you want. Port Wines to go with that great cigar from the Great Humidor. Down here at Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Come on down, have a drink, and make some new friends. Or heck, just come on down and listen to Back Room Politics on Tuesdays. Huh. of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., on a beautiful Tuesday afternoon here in the nation's capital. Uh, We're going to continue our discussion from last segment and kind of take a different approach. Uh, For those of y'all who did not know, the Conservative Political Action Conference was going on in uh, the National Capital Region, at the National Harbor in Maryland, and it drew a numerous amount of GOP leaders down to the National Harbor. Um, Notably, uh, Ted Cruz, notably Sarah Palin, notably missing were Governor Chris Christie out of New Jersey and Bob McDonnell out of Virginia. Uh, The usual CPAC crowd came into Washington, D.C., and at the same time, the GOP released its Pathway Forward, its aftermath report, its armchair quarterback report from how did we not win 2012 so that being said let's look at CPAC first Uh, I'm going to start with Alan Moore Alan Moore uh, CPAC gets together every year and there's always usually a little bit of buzz a little bit of controversy somebody was left out somebody wasn't invited some feelings get hurt etc this one happened to have a lot of buzz around it because CPAC did not invite the two most popular Republican governors in the country being Chris Christie and Bob McDonald. It, what, the, what kind of sign does that show? What kind of signal does that show to the GOP establishment by not having them there?
2: All right. Let me, let me set the context first, though. And that is, in years past, I wouldn't say there was a little buzz. I would say there was virtually no buzz. And this year, there was a whisper. We pay attention here in Washington. We pay attention some around this table, but most of the country, if they said what's CPAC, they wouldn't know. Uh, most people in D.C., if she said what's CPAC, they wouldn't know. They would think it was a trade association or something, and then, and, and then, the they wouldn't know much about what happened. Well, you're now, just not Republican enough. Sir. Well, that may well be, but but I'm just trying to put. Well, it know. To, I'm just trying to put put it in con- in context that what happens at CPAC is no big deal. Now, having said that, it's not nothing. It's more than nothing. How do uh, you backtrack from that? No big deal is not the same as nothing. It's just trying it's to put it into as, context. It's known as
4: damning with faint praise. Yeah, people. we're blown, <laughs> okay. we're
2: blowing this into something that it's not. Now. Christie and McDonald, I think we both invited last year. They don't invite everybody every year. Having said that, yeah, they were probably a little bit distressed at Christie because he warmed up to Obama after Hurricane after Sandy, the, the, the Superstorm Sandy. That's right. And and uh, uh, but but his absence in a way gave him more visibility than less. There was a, you know. Well, uh, what about Bob McDonald? Well, I think he was there last time, too, and he hasn't offended in the same way, so show some of the new blood, a little bit of opportunity, bring Sarah Palin back, who had the best lines and best moment in the whole thing, from what I could see, but but uh, uh, one was a slightly off-color joke, which I'll tell later. Uh, for those who well, missed it, up,
0: and pulling out a big goal. I want to bring. I want to bring up Sarah Palin. For, I want to take <laughs> off my moderator hat because I want to chime in on this. My my question, everybody, is how is Sarah Palin even still relevant? This is a woman who gives the same rhetorical speech, the same lines. She uses props. I mean, she's basically the carrot top of the Republican Party. The difference between oh, her and oh, carrot oh, top, oh, The oh, difference yeah. between her and carrot top oh. is carrot top is funny. How is this woman still relevant?
1: Because she's a woman in a man's party. Yes. We have Olympia Snow, We have Susan Collins. There's we no have Linda Lindell. They're not, conservative. They're
0: not they,
2: conservative. They don't want to come to this. They don't yet. want they're to come too. to this. They to come. <laughs> no, no, but wait a minute.
0: But wait a minute. <laughs> we continue. This is, we're talking about Governor. All due respect to the governor. Uh, she is a PR machine. She knows how to rally the troops. But at some point, you're going to have to come up with Something that resembles a solution, a policy discussion. You can't keep putting lipstick on a on a
1: bear cub and saying this is Republican policy. Yes, God, that she's drives me nuts. Still there, and she's still running circles around the men. Bob Hines, explain to me why she's still relevant.
0: I don't think she is. You could have fooled me. She had the largest speaking block at CPAC this year. You know year. something. I don't think
5: that's important. I just don't. I don't. CPAC is definitely important. She's always going to be there. She is a woman. She gives a good speech. She says the same thing over and over again. And um, I think that uh, Fox News. Yeah, Rush Limbaugh? Yeah, I think Fox, Fox News right. had it
0: right when they let her go. But, but no, but, uh, Congressman, you bring up Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh? admits he's an entertainer. He's not a politician. He doesn't try to drive policy. He admits he's an But
4: What I'm saying is he says the same thing every day. Now, The the topic changes, but he's essentially saying the same thing every day. And conservatives like to hear what they like to hear over and over and over again. It's the reason there'll never be a good liberal radio program, because liberals always want to hear something different.
0: Uh, (laughs) That's why this show is so amazing. Uh, uh, We'll
6: go to you, Carl, too. Okay. First of all, I I thought it was very interesting that uh, Ted Cruz introduced Sarah Palin. That's number one. Number two... Why was that interesting? (laughs) (laughs) It's not, Al. Please don't ask. (laughs) No, no, please don't Everybody. (laughs) Two very conservative people. Oh, I see. Okay. uh, Number two, uh, George McGovern used to run in Democratic primaries when he had no chance of winning because, and and also the former senator from uh, Alaska did the same, because they thought if they got their faces before the public, there'd be more speaking engagements for them. And Sarah Palin might be on that, on that uh, mm-hmm. the theory that if, he, if she's out there for enough and she says these outrageous things, people are going to hire her to come speak. Alan Moore.
2: Sarah Palin, as you all said, had, the, had, the, had one of the best spots and got one of the best reactions. But she's an entertainer. And she was actually entertaining this time. And if you've got this event which is barely above, uh,
0: you know, call this one. Call this one.
2: Then, then you want to get on television. You want to get a little bit of liveliness, and she brings that. She's not a serious thinker in the party. All right.
0: We've given enough time to Sarah Palin. I'm done with her. Uh, <laughs> Bob Hines, uh, one of the no- one of the noted speakers at CPAC, uh, along with Ted Cruz, was Senator Rand Paul. Uh, Senator Rand Paul gave a very, some say, stirring speech, uh, maybe even an eye towards 2016 speech, but he won the straw poll. Is Rand Paul going to be one of the new up-and-coming faces, one of the new populist faces that we see in the party going forward? I think so, yes. Is that a good idea for the Republican Party? that's a very different
5: question uh and i'm not so sure i mean he is he is obviously um oh i would say he's a little bit right of the mainstream uh and i think that uh he obviously has caught the attention of a lot of the public uh with these with this drone issue which i think is somewhat uh you know, uh, you know i don't think i'm not too worried about the government running around with drones all over the place. right uh, I think he, but he picked an issue that got people's attention, and uh, that's what he wanted.
0: Congressman Al, this has got to make the, the Democratic Party very happy to see this kind of division, particularly with the right of right group that usually attends CPAC.
4: Of course it does. The people that make the Democrats nervous are the ones that weren't invited. Uh, I, I think the New Jersey governor is uh, is very scary from a, a Democrat's standpoint, uh, because he's good. I don't mean he's personally scary. Right. Um, and uh, the governor of, uh, of Virginia. Bob is uh, he, he's, he's credible. Those are the ones that the Democrats need to watch and be a little nervous about. Um, Rand Paul. Uh, is going to cause the, the Republicans problems. Uh, and uh, for that reason, I think we can sit back and uh, kind of enjoy watching it.
0: Denise Crab?
1: Oh, I, I'm just going to say I'm enjoying this as well. I, um, and I agree with Congressman L. Keep going, have fun, keep that fight going. I, I mean, and I, I want you to keep on going to pretty much about October of next year so you let us help and. Uh, get back to house. So thanks. Keep going.
0: (laughs) Bob Hines, uh, at the same time that CPAC is going on, the Republican Party uh, under Reince Priebus issued a uh, a report with 219 points that say what we did wrong and how we can move and be a more inclusive party in the future. Uh, It calls out stuff like how do we attract urban Republicans? How do we bring back uh, from alienating the law cabin Republicans, the conservative Hispanics, uh, the conservative women, the moderate Republicans? How do we bring that in? It was Is an after-action report the right way to go, and can the Republican Party actually put this all into place?
5: I don't know whether they can put it all into place, but I think that they're, they're e- Look, there are two really two parts of that report. One is on structure, of how you do things, how you present yourself, what what technology you use, what new devices and, and database operations do you develop. Whether Democrats have very successfully, and I think that part of the report is uh, probably uh, there'll be there'll be a lot of unif- unity about that that idea. In, you know, getting a better control of how to reach the public, how to get your message into the homes of everybody, which the Democrats do have been doing much better than the Republicans. I think that part of the report will be pretty well seen as a good thing, and I don't think there'll be much objection to it. Do you, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Bob. On the other side, um, a lot of the policy positions they're taking, uh, they're suggesting we should be looking at. Uh, are going to cause a lot of difficulty. I think the uh, I think the purists, I won't necessarily call them the Tea Party people, but the purists are going to say, "Hey, you're moving away from our principles." Uh, and uh, our problem is not that we don't have the right we don't have the right principles; it's we haven't told them well enough. Well, we've been telling them well enough for a few elections, and it hasn't been working. But I think a lot of those Republicans that are very conservative still hang on to that point of view, and I think that's there's going to be a great, great uh, debate within the Republican Party over the next 18 months, and I'm not sure where it's going to come out. Denise Craft.
1: Uh, Rice and I were classmates at the University of Miami.
0: Interesting,
5: um,
1: really. Yeah. Wow, yeah. you
0: guys took different paths.
1: Yeah, yeah, we did, kind of. Um, and I can remember uh, you and you going to the University of Miami. It was a very uh, liberal school. Um, and there was a society that was trying to uh, come into existence, the Federalist Society, among the, uh, the lawyers. Uh, and it wasn't so popular. Well, you're not going to establish a very conservative student organization at the University of Miami. That's liberal. But he helped to do this. And so what I have to say about Ryan's is he figured out, along with the other students, how to work with others and uh, encourage them to join a conservative group in the middle of a liberal bastion over 15 years ago. So I have uh, great confidence in his ability to um, persuade people. The other person who was a year ahead of us was Marco Rubio. And so Marco also learned some very interesting things while we were in law school. So I would keep an eye out for both of them because both of them went to school, not only in a liberal um, institution, but one that was heavily Cuban. Right. And so they're going to understand how to work within the Hispanic uh, organizations to attract Voters that would normally go to the Democratic side. Carl Tuman.
6: Well, Marco Rubio is, is someone else that we should be worried about because, exactly what you said, he's got the <clears throat> the pull in the Hispanic community, and it could be it, it could it could upset what we feel that we might get from the Hispanic community in 2016. <clears throat>
4: Congressman Al. I hope the Democrats aren't sitting around on their hands, uh, enjoying this too much. Uh, I'm old enough to have uh, seen both parties declared dead on at least two separate occasions, each of them, and somehow they're still here. The uh, Republicans had a bad election. But I remember giving a speech to the state convention uh, of Democrats uh, some years ago saying, you know, we've forgotten our base. We haven't told the middle class we love them in years. We've been off talking about gay rights and and the eco- economy and the ecology and all of these other things, and the reason that the Republicans are walking off with the blue-collar guys and what have you is they're talking to them about issues they care about, and we're not. Uh, well. In short, the Democratic Party was going through exactly what the Republican Party is going through now. The Democrats finally figured it out. The Republicans will finally figure it out. And uh, and, I, and I don't think it's going to take too long.
0: But, you know, uh, Ellen Moore, when we look at the report, we look at two noted names on the report. There were five people that came up with this report, three National Committee members. But one of the people in the report was Ari Fleischer, and the other member of the report was Jeb Bush's former chief of staff in Tallahassee while he was governor. When you look at when you look at those two being present, it, it, is the Republican Party going to the Bush family almost as the de facto Republican Kennedys and saying, "Look, we need your input to help bring us into the next realm," or is this just a red herring?
2: Well, I. I I don't think it's some secret plan to to help uh, help Jeb Bush Um, I think that they were looking for some people they thought who were independent thinkers thoughtful guys um, who would be able to put something together that that would make sense to a larger the larger body now it's of course the report has not been embraced Wholeheartedly by every Republican. There was a lot of talk about it at, at CPAC and outrage that, that uh, here's some group of establishment Republicans, uh, if you will, who are trying to distort the process going forward, limit the number of primaries, reduce the voices of those on the outside, somehow violate the notion of, of the, to, to the winner, to the, to, the, to the person who gets the most votes go the, the spoils. There's there there's there's a lot of food for thought here and Priebus has got to not only try to absorb it and 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 sell key ideas to other people, some of which they have control over
4: and some of which they do not have control
2: over.
0: Congressman now What what
4: Alan just said is essentially what McGovern's message was to the Democrats way back when
6: seventy
4: two. Yeah. And and uh, he managed to change rules and what have you, and pretty soon you had people who you'd never seen at a Democratic Party meeting ever, took over the primaries, took over the party for intent- for a while. Uh, and uh, so it, it, this seems to be a thing that kind of happens politically occasionally. The Republicans will work their way out of it. Uh, because the, the, and the Demo- as the Democrats did because they have to.
6: Carl Tubman, one of the biggest gripes, and, and Alan, you might have met this when you said uh, uh, primaries. But the, one of the biggest gripes that the, the candidates have, prospective candidates have for 16, is the fact that he wants to bring the debates down from 23 to 10 or 11 or whatever, and and of course, you know they feel that they need this uh, in some of the states that uh, have uh, <clears throat> not have the popular vote, even if it has a popular vote or if they do it by caucus, that they need this to get known. And uh, that's going to be a, a very, very tricky situation.
0: Carl, I know
2: uh, Alan Moore. Yeah, I, I agree, uh, Carl. Uh-huh. Uh, debates was a piece of it. Primaries was right. a piece of it. Party caucuses yeah. was a yes. piece of it. And and all of these are opportunities to drag out the process, but also and uh, send confusing messages and attack front runners. Um, but there are also the opportunities that the uh, that the that the lesser known and poorer funded candidates rely on to be able to to be heard and have a shot. So there's going to be a there's going to be a fight over this. Al, Al points out accurately that that you know you've got to be careful how you mess with the rules too because. It didn't work all, out, all that well uh, for the Democrats back then, uh, they, they changed the rules, McGovern actually succeeded in, in getting the nomination so that he could have a historic defeat.
0: But, but Bob Hines, when we look at moving forward, you know, it, it, it seems, at least from what I've heard from many uh, moderate Republicans or establishment Republicans, that they say, we don't need a report, what we need is action. Is the is the GOP ready to put into action some of the recommendations? Can the GOP uh, come together again and bring back those that were possibly alienated in 2012? Well, to answer your question
5: backwards, I think that we're going to have several years of a great deal of debate, very vigorous debate. I think... The, the establishment is trying to find a way, uh, and obviously, uh, you know, they 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 want to build the establishment up. Uh, they want to uh, make a better. They want to have a better structure, a better way to reach people, a stronger, dynamic, uh, voter on un- catch. You know, getting getting as many people involved as they possibly can. Uh, you know, using the modern technology, which they realize they don't have a good handle on it. And I think that's going to be, as I said earlier, I think that's going to be relatively easy to agree to. But I suspect that we're going to have a real struggle over some of the issues that that Alan and and Carl have been talking about. Uh, The primaries, the caucuses versus primaries, I think is a big, big issue. And uh, I can understand exactly where the, uh, the more conservative interests are going. You know, they want the caucuses because... You know, the most dedicated people show up and the just casually pe- people don't. And then so you get the people who are tigers, and in the Republican Party, that is, is mostly the more conservative side, and you're going to keep getting candidates alike who aren't witches and other people who are difficult to win. They can get the primaries, but
0: they can't win the general. But, Congressman, now you've been around Washington for a long time. Now, this is the first time that I've heard the term in my use. In politics of the establishment Republican Party uh, I have not heard the establishment Democratic Party ever when when we hear terms like that it's almost a sign of a, a, a strict divide between the establishment and those in other sectors the Tea Party is that a bad thing well t- t- taking
4: it uh, splitting it there has been an establishment versus the rest of them in the Republican Party for years it was It was new england and uh, and the, the Eastern Republican establishment of which nelson rockefeller was uh, was a primary candidate that 's been going on for a long long time because nelson rockefeller didn 't appeal a lot to the Iowa Republican farmer right for example <clears throat> now. <clears throat> what was, what was the other part of the question but but
0: is is that is that is that type of terminology being used it, in the
4: party it, a good it, thing it, it, it's not being used among the democrats i i don't recall talking about the republican establishment what what mcgovern was talking about was the control of the party bosses same thing different terminology and uh he had in recent memory t- Daily in Chicago and the and that that campaign and whatever and that's what he was talking about, uh, but it's it's a little bit different.
1: But it's but it, uh, Denise kept going. I guess where, and I'm saying this as a Democrat. What I would encourage the Republicans to do, if they wanted to succeed, is they need to go back to their home states and say to their folks, "Did you stay out of this most recent race and why?" I mean, the, the Republicans I, I was talking to in various uh, parts of the South. Stayed out of the race. They have uh, supported local races. They uh, supported mayors. They supported governors. They refused to support uh, folks at the presidential level, and they refused to support it because they felt that it was a mismanaged campaign. So, if that has occurred once, you want to make sure that it doesn't occur twice. I don't want to give advice to the Republican Party, but I do think you need to go back in and say. What happened and why didn't you work for it? But
0: well, this, this, this brings up a good question though. Uh, Alan Moore, we talked about this before on this show, but it does bring up the question: is now the time to bring back strong political party bosses into the party and have them lead and have that and have some semblance of some national control over how even national level races are run? The answer
2: is yes, but the possibilities and prospects of that happening are zero. Why? Because the power has become so diffuse now, there is no way that, that anyone is going to, to sort of bend down to some, some amorphous, unidentified, self-appointed group of leaders. If you have a president, you have a leader to your party. If you don't have a president... It's really hard to find a leader anymore. I mean Al talked about about the republican establishment and it and it was real thirty years ago, and it hasn't existed for a very long time and and I think the same is true Does the party need a new political well, it would
0: be nice if it did have
2: it, but I don't know where it comes from i mean it'll come it'll come from the next from the next president and maybe candidate but but but, you know Mitt Romney's hardly the guy, so I think you have to win, and there's a lot of different ways to win um and that's what this whole report was uh, was about talking about trying to improve the chances of winning and not inflict and, and, and not not have self inflicted wounds that hold you back either in who you nominate or what damage you do to them when you nominate and how you out and how you reach out to broader constituencies they're they're trying to Look in this report. There's something like 219 recommendations. I mean, it's, <laughs> this is this is a, a cover of the waterfront kind of report, and it's hard to hard to get one, one's hands around it. But I don't think we're going to go back to the smoke-filled rooms and and small group of party leaders. That's 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 part of American history. That's now history. But,
0: but Bob, Bob Hines, looking at the party as it stands right now. It almost seems like, I mean all due respect to Ryan Priebus, Ryan Priebus has been a, a a a solid chairman of the Republican Party. He's raised a ton of money. There's no question he can print money. But do we need a more dynamic type okay. boss person who can take the reins and nationalize the party in a way? Is or is that even a reality? Even if we needed it,
5: we don't have it. I mean, I think again, Priebus and his and his team. Uh, I think they're going to be able to go a long way toward upgrading the ability of the party to reach them, to reach more people.
4: Well, Congressman, now you have often talked about uh, a, a Republican Party chairman from I think Ohio, Ray Bliss, Ray Bliss, right. whom you uh, admi- admire enormously. Let me ask you a question: When Ray Bliss was the party chairman? Was he out front running things, or was he in the back behind the candidates running things? He
5: was. He was not a public person, fundamentally.
4: And I would argue that you don't want a, 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 a chairman. That that's that's when the charge, the political boss, comes in, and that's a hard one to shift yeah, to. But to what you well. do want, though,
5: what you do want is uh, one of the problems the Republican Party has is you have. One group that wants to win elections, the other group wants to be pure, wants to never move an inch from their, their philosophic positions, and they keep, they keep saying, in effect, our positions are excellent. We just have not done a good enough job of, of exposing them and excelling them and giving them out, letting the people hear about them. And that's a wonderful position to be in if you continue to get more people paying attention. But the last few elections, particularly in the Senate, have shown that, you know, they are wrong. They don't believe it, but they but they have shown that they cannot win and they lose they lose races that ought to be won because their 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 electorate group is not strong enough to win in Tubin, anything but an extremely conservative area
6: Carl Tuvan, you were a former party boss in Maryland. What do you think well i you know what the Democrats did occasionally is they took a United States senator and put them as the as party chairman, and then had the national committee run by uh, uh i forgot what they what they called him but you know.
5: Uh,
6: Operators, uh, executive Operator, director Executive director, and they did that uh, uh, twice in the last 25, 30 years and uh, <clears throat> um, uh, Well, the
0: Democrats have a very strong voice in Debbie Wasserman Schultz right
6: now Right now, they have a very strong voice and that's, you know, but she is actually the chairman and uh, when, when Chuck Bennett was chairman, he was strong enough not to need anyone else and so, the same thing with the, his successor so I mean we there have been different ways of doing it to to put the party out front. Uh,
0: in, in the last last segment, real quick, uh, this report that comes out of the GOP. Uh, when when we see the report, is this the blueprint to move the party forward? I want to go to the Republicans, Bob Hines. You,
5: it's again I'll divide it in two, with respect to the. How we get our message out, I think it's a very good start. What our message is is still is still, I think, up for grabs within the party.
0: Alan Moore. I
2: I, I agree with that, but you know, that, and that's just going to unfold here uh, in the next year as we lead up to the next congressional elections, and the and the dominant issues are not going to be the social issues we talked about. They are going to continue to be the, the econ- economic issues. issues that so frightened people and have so changed their lives and, and fed the anger. Very good.
0: Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of religion. We're going to talk about new Pope Francisco, Pope Francis in the Vatican. He was white-smoked in last week, and he was inaugurated today. We'll talk a little bit of Pope politics when we come back. This is Background Politics Live. From Shelley's Back Room on Blog Talk Radio.
6: Stay with us. He wasn't
0: inaugurated. So now you hear us talk about Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. It's being the place to be. America's premier cigar tavern, place to make new friends or visit old friends, or even have a lively political discussion like we do here on Back Room Politics. But what you may not know Shelley's is the place for private parties. Shelly's Back Room is available to host events for groups of 10 to 250. From cocktail receptions to sit-down dinners, Shelly's can provide custom menu options to suit your needs and budget. Although Shelly's is a smoke-friendly environment, Shelly's can make accommodations for non-smokers based on the side of your party, but heck, why would you want to? With a cigar menu like they have here, why would you even consider going smoke-free? Event pricing varies based on the time of the day of the week chosen for your event. For more information on private parties at Shelley's Backroom, go to www.shelley'sbackroom.com/private-party. Shelley's Backroom, the place to be, as Bob likes to say it. It's also a place for private parties. Washington DC this is backroom politics live on Block talk radio a hey, uh, little bit of papal politics as an Anglican a recovering Catholic I forget dogma and I forget the Pope was not elected or inaugurated today he was I don't know in power what's the right term here resident Catholics and, and what would you mean uh, uh, he was installed installed there we go that that works yeah. too um, for the first it's been time in a long in time to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, our resident Catholic. So for the first time in the history of the Catholic Church, we have a Jesuit pope. We have which which bodes well for Gonzaga and Georgetown in the finals. Uh, we have we have a Western Hemisphere pope. We have a pope from Latin America. We have a pope of Hispanic descent. We have uh, so many firsts in. Uh, the, in the Cardinal Bishop of Argentina, now Pope Francisco. He is the first Pope Francis. Uh, let me go to our resident Catholics. Denise Crep, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts on Pope Francisco? Uh, a very modest, humble Jesuit rode the bus to work every day instead of having the entourage, cooked his own dinners, uh, paid for his own hotel bill after being elected Pope.
1: What what are your thoughts on that? It's invigorating. I I mean I can't tell you how many folks I talked to at church on Sunday who just said Wow, just Wow. I mean they kept talking about the fact that you know he was making statements of you know we need to know what we stand for. We need to know what we stand for. Or otherwise we're just going to be an NGO. Not only do we need to know what we stand for, but I'm going to go back to what the church stands for, which talks about poverty and those in need. I mean to go back and take a simpler look at the church and to say I'm not only going to be for the poor, but I'm going to wear simple vestments. I mean, there's a huge article in the Washington Post today about the fact that, oh, wait a second, all of a sudden, maybe he's not going to be wearing, uh, you know, purple and blue and the rich colors and the rich fabric. And the red Prada shoes. Exactly. Now, all of a sudden, maybe we're going to take a more simpler approach. I think it's fantastic, and I think it's invigorating. Bob Pines,
5: our other cowboy. I agree completely. <laughs> But I will say this: all of that will stay. But it won't. It, if, if that is all that happens, it won't be what we need. What is needed is a thorough um, review of the way the curia works and who is in the who is running the curia. Which is the administrative? That's the administrative arm, the administrative of, the arm of the Pope of the uh, of the Church, and it is in Rome, and it has been dominated by Italians uh, since um, well, since as anybody can ever remember. And you know, in effect, we need a new we need a clean sweep within the Curia, not because. You know the the the, it's, the way it's been going on for years is necessarily evil or bad or anything else, but it's gotten to be by rote, and they're 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 more protective of the system than they are willing to be open. And we need somebody to really come in there and clean the place up and say we're going to do it. We're going to. They're gonna be more open, more clear cut, we're gonna take care of these scandals, we're gonna clean everything up, and we're gonna be different. That means we're gonna to have to get people from beyond Europe in the in the in the curia.
1: Do you scrap. And for the first time in my life I'm hearing people say, I want to know how the money is spent. So I'm gonna follow on and say people are going to demand an accounting and they're going to demand a public accounting of how the money is spent. Not only how it's spent, where is all of the money that the Catholic Church has and Possibly, maybe the next time we have a pope, it's how did everybody vote. I mean, it's been 2,000 years, but people are asking questions and they're going to demand answers. And I think that in and of itself can be a revolution. Congressman,
4: now I just wanted to ask a, a question. I, I, I was a Methodist who became a Unitarian and is now backslid from that. So I don't understand much. If the Pope is as powerful as they say he is, why is it he can't just tell the curia what to do?
5: Bob Hines? Well, let me put it this way. I think the Pope can tell the curia what to do. I'm not so sure that some of the Popes in the past thought that because they were part of the same system that anybody would pay attention to it. I mean, he wasn't, it wasn't that big a deal. Now it needs to be done. Alan Moore. <laughs> he doesn't know what
2: he wants them to do. Remember, this guy has been in Buenos Aires all of his life, and he has been dealing with a very complicated domestic political situation, and he clearly came up uh, with a lot of critics about what he did and did not do with the military junta not, not that many years ago. He has not lived in Rome he has not focused in rome what he has said about all of the senior appointments is i want everybody to stay for now but i'm expecting significant changes now he is going to have to rely on this whole team of people this is like becoming president of the united states not having run for the office but and having come from from uh, canada and uh, maybe been a provincial governor, and suddenly you're running the U.S. You're going to rely heavily on a whole bunch of people, but you don't know exactly what you want them to do. So this is going to take a little bit of time. I remember last week there was some hope expressed that we would have a younger man, and I know there was, although it's really interesting to to think about this man's uh, humility um, and and the fact that he comes from the part of the world with 40 percent of the world's Catholics, at least nominally speaking, but he's also 76 years old, and he's <laughs> taking on all of these new responsibilities. This is a this is a major major uh, undertaking, and although I appreciate some of his gestures of going back and paying at the hotel, it reminds me of Jimmy Carter when he was carrying his bags up the steps of Air Force One, and you're thinking, huh? Wait a minute, uh, and, and then there's the whole security issue riding around uh, there in in uh, what? At, at the Vatican. With, 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 uh, in the Pope Mobile with the, with, Swiss the with the, with the glass down. Right. And, uh, the, the reason that there's the so called Pope Mobile with the glass, with bulletproof glass, is because crazy people sometimes try to kill famous and, 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 powerful The attempt, what well, was the result people.
0: of the attempt on the life of Pope John Paul? A- right. Absolutely. Right. So
2: there, he's gonna have to, he's gonna have to learn to accept some of these strictures on, on, on behavior and movement that are there for security reasons, not because he, he's some kind of a king.
0: Our resident pundit from the Jewish faith, Carl <laughs> toven
4: Well,
2: I w- wait. You're Jewish,
6: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Does that mean I'm off the show? Now?
4: No. <laughs> you know, <I> love Jewish.
6: <laughs> what, what? You know, it seems to me that uh, it, it, it would be very interesting because even though he's just a parish. Uh, a preacher and, and whatever he's still a cardinal and he still he he has to have thoughts about the Curia and the way the Catholic Church was run and even though he was in Argentina I'm, I'm sure that there were times when he probably said boy I wish they did that differently I wish they did this differently I wish they did this differently and now he has a chance and being 76 myself uh, I, I think I can still think and I can still do things, and hopefully he'll be he'll be uh, creative and and come up with some answers that people won't expect of him, but that hopefully there'll be good answers.
0: When when we look at Pope Francis, you know we we've heard terms uh, like reformer, but at the same time we've also heard he was part of the conservative arm that uh, was largely a part of the conservative dogma that was put out in large part by former Pope Emeritus, or Pope Emeritus, former Pope Benedict XVI, uh, Denise Kreb. Where's the balance? Can can he balance that reform
1: with the conservative dogma and yet still be all-inclusive as a Catholic church? He can, but it's going to go back to what Alan talked about, the fact that he is new and he is relying on a lot of folks. And I'm not sure I would have used the Canada analogy as much as I would have used the a new uh, political coming in uh, into the Ameri- U.S. administration. Like, I mean, let's say, a Barack Obama. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, and I say this as being a political appointee who walked in. Uh, on day one, I had to rely on a lot of folks that I didn't know, but I needed to trust them. And then after a couple of months, I decided to make my own decisions. And that's what the new pope was going to have to do. The question is going to be how quickly can he get a grasp of who is there, how quickly, not only the grasp of who is there and who he's talked to in the past, but how quickly can he move some of them out of there and then implement his own. And you want to do that quickly because you're going to have folks who are going to look at him and say, you're 76 years old. You're going to die soon. I am going to outlive you. And what you want to make sure, and I hate to be blunt like that, what you have to do is say, how quickly can he do it and how quickly can he move those folks out that are not going to want to do what he wants them to do?
0: Interesting point.
1: Uh, Al, Al Swift.
0: Uh, as our resident atheist in the in the group, <laughs> everybody's looking at you, going, "Wow, you're an atheist." You outed me. I I had to, um, but you know, as somebody who's who is not, uh, you know, of a organized religion of a faith, the election of this pope does spark an interest. It has effects. In both international politics and even to an extent domestic politics. At, at, at what point do we look at the Pope and say, as the head a church, you know, look at what's happening globally. How is that going to affect the national political scene here? Does it affect those in Congress?
4: Well, first of all, let me make clear yeah, I'm an atheist, but I am not one that, that looks down on people who are not. I am not uh you, you know i don 't go around knocking on doors and saying, "How would you like to be an atheist uh be- believe what you want and let me believe what I want is my view that, right having said that uh i I think it it depending on what he does, it can have some effect here uh you've got Catholics in the United States that are far more liberal than uh the Catholic Church generally or than this Pope everything indicates will be. I do not see from him females made priests. I do not I, th- that whole agenda, I don't see coming out of him. If he if he can clean up the curia, that will have been a significant contribution to the future of the Catholic Church and the other things will have to do left for the future.
0: Well, The the one subject we haven't talked about, and it's a subject that's dominated a lot of the discussion regarding the Catholic Church, is the church sex scandal. Uh, He's coming in at a time when, he's literally coming in at a time when there is a lot of cleanup that has to be done as a result of that. Uh, Bob Hines, does this Pope have the capacity not only to have to deal with the curio, but also deal with the cleanup of the post-sex scandal church.
5: It's it's yet to be known, but I believe that he does. He seems to be very serious about it. From what you can what you can tell from some of the comments made by uh, some of his colleagues in the uh, in the among the uh, the uh, uh, cardinals prior to his election and after his election, that he is you know he's serious about trying to trying to clean this problem up.
4: And the one, one thing that, a big change I think he made, I mentioned that you're not going to have female nuns and all that stuff, but, but I think he can, as Pope say, this shit is going to stop. Yeah. And this is what's going to happen to priests uh, in the church who are guilty of this kind of activity. I think he can do that, and it would do a, a, an enormous amount to restore the the the, the 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 respect of everybody, not just Catholics, for the Church. He'll probably will re- probably be referring to it as caca.
6: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I I, I I don't have a I don't have a censor button, so I just let that one fly. Uh, better than the f bomb button drops every once in a while. Uh, in 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 total. Is Pope Francis enough to reinvigorate the Church and bring people back in? Bob Heinz, given the enthusiasms of
5: the moment, you would say yes, yes. but it is uh, it has to be seen. If if he continues to be as popular as he is, if if he undertakes um, changes in the Curia, if he if he works to clean up the messes. That the church has had in the last uh, several decades need to be taken care of. If he does that, that will be a huge thing, as Al says. The in respect for the church, the, uh, the, the the recognition of it as a as a moral leader will be will be improved substantially, and that is exactly what is needed. The beast crap.
1: He had the honeymoon of about three months if he can't make some changes in about three months, the invigoration that I just mentioned is going to go. And not only is it going to go, but I know a lot of Catholics right now who are refusing to uh, give money every Sunday because they don't want the money to go to be to be uh, paid for lawyers for all the sex scandals. Right. So
0: well, how many changes. Well, with that, we now come into my, kind of a bad segue, but we come into my favorite part of the show. It's Tell Me a Story, where we talk about Buzz, innuendo, and happening shameless plugs around the beltway from all of us. Congressman Al, surprisingly, you notified me earlier. You have a story. I have a. Story. Congressman Al, tell me a story. Hey. This is on the the kind of story that Carl tells. All right, you get one point, you get two minutes. All right.
4: <laughs> we were talking about the George McGovern era in the Democratic Party, and I remember attending a Democratic convention in Whatcom County. It was a county convention. Uh, and uh, the we had loads of the McGovern people in it, and the the first thing they did was to a- a move that we eliminate cigarette smoking. Now, this was a long time ago, you know, and it passed overwhelmingly. Well, it so happens that the chairman of the convention was was a, was a inveterate cigarette smoker. And so he tried for about the first two hours to do it and then he started sneaking cigarettes down under the he he kind of duck behind the podium and take a puff and pop back up and so forth. And pretty soon one of the one of the McGovern night people stood up and said, Point of order, the chairman is violating the rules of the convention. He is smoking. And everybody hooed and booed, and he apologized and what have you. Right after that, I went into the bathroom to go to the bathroom. Why else do you go there? Well, I'll tell you why else you go there. I found the guy who objected to having cigarettes was smoking a joint in the... (laughs) (laughs) And so much for McGovern's.
6: (laughs) That's awesome. Bob Hines,
0: tell me a story.
5: I think that the most interesting uh, issue that's going to be seen in politics in the next, oh, I think, uh, 12 to 15 months is going to be how the Republicans, in the effort that they're going to be making to clean, you know, to, to improve their operation, uh, well, it may go smoothly, the biggest problem is going to be that there are a significant, there's a Significant percentage of the of the uh, Republican base that is uh, is convinced that if they tell if they if they say what they've been saying for the last several years uh, more effectively they will win elections that they do not now win. I think this is not correct. I think it will cause great deal of, uh, of, of angst within the party as a whole. And I, I have, I have high hopes that this, that somehow they can, we can come together as a party uh, before the next election. Because if we do not uh, stop fighting among ourselves over over issues within the party, the fact that we can all agree on the budgeting problems uh, will not be nearly enough to protect us from uh, from losses that we shouldn't otherwise have. Denise Krepp, tell me a story.
1: Well, instead of telling you a story, I'm going to tell you about a website. Okay. This website is the uh, Library of Congress website. It's uh, thomas.loc.gov. And the reason I want all of you to know what thomas.loc.gov is because that is where you can find out information about your members of Congress. Uh, While we were talking, we were looking at a video from the House floor. The House members are talking about the budget. Now, what I want to remind everybody is that you, as everyday American citizens, have the right to call your members and tell them how you want to vote. And uh, I hate to give you a civics lesson tonight, but I think everybody should be involved in this process. If we are starting to talk about budget cuts, we are talking about budget cuts that impact you. So if they're going to impact you, then you need to me making those phone calls to tell your members of Congress how it's going to impact you. And with that,
0: I pass it on. Alan Moore, tell me a story. All right. Well,
2: we haven't heard about Bob Menendez for a while, so ah, there we it go. Seems to me that we need we need uh, another story from that gift who keeps on giving. Um, the, the 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 most titillating charges against him had to do with uh, with suggestions that he was consorting with prostitutes. There's just not a lot of basis for that. There's some questions about whether the alleged uh, people who uh, had first accused him were somehow paid by someone that remains to be seen that is not the, the heart of his problem the heart of his problem is the fact that a grand jury has been impaneled to look at charges of inappropriate and illegal activities on his part on behalf of uh, Solomon Melgan the ophthalmologist from Florida Two well, actually three different charges. The first is that, that it was inappropriate for him, Senator Menendez, to be calling the head of Medicare to complain about a $6 million fine uh, imposed against Melgan for some illegal billing. They deny it, but the question is, what, if anything, was in that very unusual intervention for Menendez? The other charge is that he has been leaning on the the Dominican Republic government to help uh, a a Melgan company that bought in late to a a port security project to honor this contract, which could be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And there are lingering questions about whether Menendez has disclosed all of the free trips that he took uh, in, in, in Mr. Melgan's plane down to the Dominican Republic. This is an ongoing, continuing embarrassment for the Democrats in the Senate. They are hoping and praying that this will somehow go away. It's not going away. It's getting bigger. Keep your eye on this one.
0: Carl Thubin, tell me a story.
6: Uh, <clears throat> many, many years ago, there was a League of Nations conference in which they were going to cut off Europe and uh, put it back together again. And the debate came on the Balkans. And they decided to put the Balkans, make Yugoslavia and a couple of other countries around it, etc. Woodrow Wilson goes back to his room. And about 7 o'clock that evening, after he had dinner, there was a knock on the door. It was a group from the United States Department of State who came in and said, we want to discuss this more with you, Mr. President. And they suggested that you can't make a a country with so many ethnic divisions. And and what's going to to happen is in 50 or 60 years, it's going to blow apart. And there's going to be strife between all these different factions. Well, it took a little more than 50 or 60 years, but it did blow up. And hopefully today's State Department is better educated than that.
0: All right, Uh, NASA was on the hill in the past couple of days asking for more money. The justification, they need more money to track possible doomsday asteroids coming to the Earth, coming towards our planet. Uh, NASA is making a very compelling case that unless we want to just wake up or not wake up one day and have a huge dent in the planet, we have to have money to track it in a plan to possibly divert the asteroid away. Uh, keep an eye on that one. Not going to go far, but interesting point. Hey, uh, this has been Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital. Bob, the place to be, on behalf of Congressman Al Swift, Bob Hines, Denise Krep, Alan Moore, and Carl Toobin. I am your moderator, Justin Russell. We will see you in two weeks as next week for the Holy Week will be a best of. We'll see you in two weeks, same time, same channel. Thanks for joining us. Have a great holiday, everybody.